0: Hey, BSN Denver listeners, we're really excited to tell you about some game-changing coffee. Strava Craft is the CBD-enriched coffee that has really changed lives. Their reviews are incredible. Make sure you check them out today. This CBD-infused coffee has taken away long-term migraines, back pain, arthritis, IBS, and has helped decrease anxiety. You name it, CBD is all natural. It's also not psychoactive, and the coffee is rich and tasty. We could not recommend it anymore. To our listeners, check it out for yourself today and receive 20% off when you use the promo code BSN2010 at checkout. That's promo code BSN2018 to get your StravaCraft coffee for 20% off and shipped straight to your door. It's
1: fun. Welcome in to the BSN Nuggets Podcast, presented by Go.
0: Joined by a special guest, Mason Plummer. I thought he was gonna knock that ref out in LA. <laughs> Coaches will get testy with officials, but to run out onto the court yeah. and cut him off, yeah. I've never seen that before. You should have taken a charge on him. Welcome to a brand new edition of the BSN Nuggets podcast presented by In We Go, the subscription that can get you into almost any event in Denver with promo code BSN50. Tuesday edition of the show, Harrison Wind and Christian Clark is here to my left. Recording, I guess this is Christmas Eve, right? That's what what day it is today. I lose all count of days during the season and then during days when the Nuggets have a couple off days, I totally forget what day it is. Usually it's either a practice or a game, right? It's either a practice day or a shoot-around game day. I lose all conscious of what day during the week it is during the season.
3: The only reason I knew what today was is because Christmas Eve is my mom's birthday, so I'm a good son. Sent her flowers. Gave her a call today, you know. Good job. I'm proud of you. Yeah, I mean, I'm not a bum all the time. (laughs) We got those Christmas
0: Day games coming up here on Tuesday. I think next year is probably the year when Denver gets a Christmas Day game. Obviously, depending on how they do this season, if you know, they're able to make some noise in the playoffs, are you looking forward to any of
3: these games or? Yeah, yeah. Uh, pumped to watch some Giannis, even if it is against the Knicks. I mean, they kind of stink. Philly, like Boston should be really fun. Um, I'm not really that excited for for Lakers, Golden State. I'm with you. I think Denver probably will have a Christmas Day game next year. If you had to guess the opponent right now, who'd you guess? Portland.
0: Yeah, that'd be my guess too. Like if you look at this slate and
3: Portland, Utah is the last game, you could see Denver sliding in there for Utah now. Yeah, yeah. Maybe maybe Denver OKC. There have been some epic Denver OKC games over the years.
0: That would probably have to be like the middle game. Here's my proposition for the Christmas Day games. I feel like this format's getting a little stale. Like it's great. We got marquee games, but we don't really need the Knicks on Christmas. We really don't. And that's coming from a guy who was born in New York. I think ideally what this would be, you could clear out this week. Hear me out for a second. Clear out this week, make this another all-star break, have an eight-team single elimination tournament spanning maybe Sunday through Thursday. The winner of that tournament is playing a maximum of three days. You can space that out to play I know, Sunday, Tuesday, Thursday, Sunday, Tuesday, Friday, something like that. And then how you select those eight teams is you just take the eight top teams in the league record-wise at this point in the season, see so them one through eight, one plays eight, two plays seven, three plays six, et cetera, et cetera. I think that would be a better solution to this Christmas day slate. Of course, you have the problem of what do they play for, right? Yeah. What are the stakes? I don't know home court advantage at some point in the playoffs, a guaranteed playoff spot. But then you think like most of these teams that you have that would be in this theoretical eight game tournament are probably going to be in the playoffs anyway. Most of them are probably going to have home court, at least in the first round, maybe into the second round. So I don't know. That's the problem. I don't think money
3: is going to tilt the scales. What have you automatically got to got the first pick in the second round?
0: Automatically got the first pick in the second round. See, that would be something. Front offices would probably be all over. But if I'm a player, what's my <laughs> incentive
3: there? You know? Oh, great! We get a chance to take that guy out of Murray State to, to take my job. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Players probably wouldn't get up for that too much. I don't know. I'm trying to think outside the box. Yeah, that's here.
0: the problem about putting draft compensation on the line. The players don't have much to play for it in those scenarios.
3: Yeah. And I don't think a bonus would mean that much either. These guys are already making so much money.
0: Yeah. The matchups now though, if we went to my one through eight proposed single elimination tourney over this week, Toronto, Boston, that's the one eight Milwaukee Philly. That's the two seven Denver, Indiana. It's the three six and golden state Oklahoma city is the four five.
3: That'd be great. I would love to see the NBA go to some sort of single elimination mid season tournament, just the NBA with, with a single elimination format Maybe do that in, in you know, a third of the way of the year or so and slash the regular season schedule to 75 games. Right.
0: Bring down the regular season schedule, have this eight-team tournament here, and then maybe move the all-star break back a week or so in February or maybe into early March. So like one final break before the last push to the season. Yeah. I think it's an interesting proposal, but again, you gotta have something for these guys to play for. It would have to be something that has to do with the playoffs, I would think. Anyway. On to the topic of today's podcast. This is our best of 2018 podcast. We're going to go through games, moments, quotes, nuggets, deep cuts from January through December. We've compiled a list here uh, with some of our thoughts and some of your suggestions too. So thanks so much for sending those in. Should we start at the top? The first one I've got here, January 5th, Trey Lyles goes off for a career high, 26 points against the Utah Jazz. What do you remember about this game?
3: Well, I'm glad we're starting out with this one. It wasn't the one I was expecting to, but I kind of love that we're beginning this thing with the Trey Lyles Utah beef. That had to feel so good for Trey Lyles because if you've paid attention to his comments over the years, he was not a huge fan of playing in Salt Lake City uh, where he spent the first couple seasons of his career. I don't know. Oh, we were talking about before the start of this podcast, his appearance on the the road tripping pod with Richard Jefferson. Here's an excerpt from that. uh, R.J., I like playing in Utah. I really did. Lyle's asked him who was his coach. He had Ty Corbin. Lyles said, so y'all didn't practice? Y'all didn't do nothing? See, we had practice every day under Quinn Snyder. I thought it was in Kentucky again. Lyle's made a bunch of comments about the three hour practices under Quinn Snyder. I think that's one of his biggest beefs, but clearly did not enjoy his time there. I, I think he enjoys playing in Denver and it did feel pretty good to stick it to them.
0: The worst part about Richard Jefferson not being on this team is we don't get the Road and podcast. I mean, how much awesome content did that podcast produce last year? How many storylines? How many insightful quotes? And we don't get that this year. I want to take the transcript you said one step further and read off a bit more here. Uh, so Jefferson starts out by asking Lyles, so you got drafted by Utah. And then Lyles interrupts him and says, unfortunately... Richard Jefferson then goes, let's talk about why you didn't want to go to Utah. Trey Lyles responds, I don't know. I just didn't like it. Then they go on, they go on. They had the Ty Corbin comment, like you said. Then Mason Plumley joins in. We talk about worse cities, Plumley said. I don't think Utah is a great city to go play in, but the guys that play there really seem to love it. Lyles, he had a counterpoint to that comment. Usually the guys that love it are older, said Lyles. They have families. Richard Jefferson, who played for the Jazz, chimes in. I thoroughly enjoyed it. I didn't have a family at the time, but I thoroughly loved it. Plumley then rattled off a couple of the Italian restaurants he likes. It's very similar to Denver, Richard Jefferson said. It's not similar to Denver, Lyles countered. If you'd shut up and let me talk, Jefferson then said. And then Lyles goes, You don't have to be rude. Jefferson counters with, It's sunny all the time in Utah. Lyles says, Hmm the fans are really good. Hmm. And then they go back and forth.
3: Uh, yeah. Lyles did not enjoy Salt Lake city. RJ is unreal at media. Like he's not just good at media for being a professional athlete. He's good at media period. He needs to be on TNT. I think
0: he does need to be on TNT. Interesting side note here. Richard Jefferson was on a podcast with Howard Beck. I don't know if you listened to it, but he actually divulged how he turned down an assistant coaching job with Luke Walton and the Lakers this season to do the freelance media route. He's doing some games with the Brooklyn Nets, some games with ESPN, I think some college games possibly. But yeah, he could have been an assistant coach with LeBron and Luke Walton and the Lakers. And I'm just imagining the podcast material that that group would have churned out this year. Are you allowed to have a
3: podcast if you're an assistant coach? I don't think there's a rule against it. I don't think there's a rule, but I think that's kind of frowned upon when you're moving into an assistant coaching role to have your own podcast. I don't know. I'm, I'm not here to ask questions. I'm just looking for content. I mean, just imagine if like David Adelman or <laughs> I podcast. think it'd be
0: highly interesting. I, I oh, don't I'd, see the problem here.
3: I know it would be interesting. It's just, I don't know. It, it would. I, if I was a head coach, I would feel a little bit weird about it. Potentially. <laughs> I think you might have a
0: point there. Okay, anyways, that's the first thing on our list. Trey Lyles goes off for a career-high 26 points against the Utah Jazz. Loving every second of it. Next up, February 1st at Gary Harris game winner against Oklahoma City on national TV. For me, this was really the shot that got Denver going late last season. They went on that run to nearly get a playoff berth. I think it started in this game against Oklahoma City on national TV, on TNT, that unbelievable game winner. This was a big night. I feel like this was kind of the start of the late season push. It gave Denver a lot of momentum, I thought.
3: Yeah, that month of February was pretty ridiculous looking back on it. I remember that month for Gary Harris's shot. I remember all those Nikola Jokic triple doubles. He had one of those in that game against OKC. That was probably the best Jokic-Harris hookup to date. Jokic standing on one side of the floor, Gary on the other. And Jokic led him by like 15 feet with that pass. Gary had to run and get that thing, almost like a receiver going across the middle. I don't know what Russell Westbrook was doing still I mean, he was just asleep in the middle of the paint.
0: Oh, he tends to do that from time to time. Yeah,
3: that's true. He does. It's not, it wasn't a one time thing. Gave Gary just enough daylight to get that shot off. And one of the random moments that sticks out of my mind in the post game celebration is there's like 50 media people around Gary uh, post game, and Will Barton's locker is right next to Gary's. And he's, he just pipes in. He goes, Gary, how'd you pay for that fine?
0: Straight cash, homie. Straight cash, homie. Shout out Randy Moss for sure. That was a big moment, no doubt. Moving on here, February 10th, a game in Phoenix that Denver actually ended up winning. It was their first road win in like two months. They went like all of December and January without winning a road game last year. But in the first quarter of that game, fireworks. Troy Daniels confronts Will Barton. On the court because of what Will Barton said on a podcast about how the entire Suns team needs to be sent to the G League. Again, this is the type of content we're missing out on without Richard Jefferson in Denver. Anyways, really, hell breaks loose. The media seats in Phoenix, I like to tell this story, are courtside. You have an awesome view of the game, pretty much right on the scorers table, like a row behind the scorers table. Mike Malone is standing in front of us the entire game. I believe that night I'm sitting right next to Gina Mizell, who covered this team for the Denver Post last year, and Chris Dempsey. Mike Malone is in front of us. That fight breaks out in the far corner, uh, pretty much the opposite corner of the court from where we're sitting to our right. Mike Malone in a full-on sprint. I've never seen the guy move this fast. Runs out over to the corner, breaks up the fight. Nuggets security guys run over to. It was a whole scene, but I heard every word Will Barton said on the way back to the huddle after that little scuffle, and I don't think I can repeat any of them on the podcast.
3: Not safe for the podcast? It's not podcast material. Well, I knew Michael Malone... N-S-F-P. Okay. I, I knew- Not safe for podcasts. Michael Malone was pretty fast because he once divulged before a game that he could run a mile under five minutes in high school. Hey- you know what? I would have loved to race Michael Malone in high school because I could too, Harrison. What's your record for a mile time? 457. Come at me.
0: Jesus, man. Jeez. I'm 630. I got nothing on you.
3: He did it like 30 years ago or whatever it was. So his is really like a, like a 430 today. So I, <laughs> I think his is a little bit more impressive. That was just uh, an incredible 2018 beef. I mean, uh, a player... A player's podcast, uh, you know, a, a comments that a teammate made on that podcast sparking this. It's incredible, man. And you know what? Will Barton was asked after the game about Troy Daniels getting fired up. and when he figured out why he was so mad, he was like, well, I can kind of understand why. That's that's kind of the reason I love Will Barton. Because yeah. he gets why a dude would want to swing on him for saying you don't really belong in the NBA, even if it kind of wasn't just.
0: Yeah, the classic 2018 NBA beef that seems like it can only happen in this league. I don't see something like that happening in baseball. No. (laughs) No way. I don't see somebody throwing at Bryce Harper because of comments he made on a podcast. All right, let's move on here. Let's hit one more before the break. February 15th, Nikola Jokic records the fastest triple-double in NBA history. Only took him 14 minutes and 33 seconds in Milwaukee. What a night that was. What do you remember about that game?
3: Oh my God. Um, Thon Maker getting cooked to well done, mostly. Thon did not have a, a, a great go of it. He was a minus 20 in 17 minutes. He started that game guarding Jokic, and Jokic cooked him like shrimp fried rice.
0: What I remember about this game is being in Milwaukee for this one, and we could see the triple-double coming. At the end of the first quarter, he was like almost there. I think he had like over 10 points, close to 10 rebounds, and close to 10 assists already. And so we could see it coming. So frantically, on Press Road, we're trying to look up who had the fastest triple double of all time because we knew he was on the cusp of this record. And we stumble upon this guy, Jim Tucker, who played for the Syracuse Nationals in like 1940, who has the record. We're wondering who the heck this Jim Tucker is and somehow he holds the record for fastest triple-double. Russell Westbrook had the second fastest, which he set a couple years ago, and Jokic ends up obliterating the record by more than one and a half minutes. He does it in 14 minutes and 33 seconds. It happened so fast. It was just an unbelievable night. Perfect basketball, perfect offensive basketball, I should say, for the Nuggets. And I'm not sure if Nikola Jokic has played a more perfect 14 minutes and 33 seconds of basketball on the offensive end.
3: Yeah, Jokic goes into those zones every once in a while, and how many other players in the league can can get into zones like that where they just can't miss, like they're in God mode like that? Maybe like Giannis yeah. and LeBron and maybe KD? I
0: mean, scoring for sure, but Jokic will do it with scoring and assists and whatnot. Everybody he was passing the ball to that night was scoring. You know, Denver wound up with, what, like 130-something points that night? 24 three-pointers, too. Yeah, 24 three-pointers getting near the record there. And it reminded me of when Jamal Murray had 15 assists earlier this year. Literally, every pass he was making was ending in a shot. That's just the kind of night it was in Milwaukee
3: that night. It was like Jokic was running on an unlimited supply of those those stars you get in Mario Kart, you know like that's what I, that's <laughs> the music that was playing in my head the whole
0: night, right. So a couple other cool things about that game. when the nuggets go to these Midwest cities, there's a large Serbian population in a lot of these cities, Chicago, Indianapolis, and Milwaukee as well. And there were a lot of Serbian fans at this game after he gets the record, after the Nuggets win. And remember, this was kind of a close game until the last couple of minutes. The Nuggets were actually in danger of dropping this one until like midway through the fourth quarter. And uh, of course, the triple-double would have had a much different ring to it. But they end up winning. Jokic, he does his interview in the middle of the court. Or he might have been doing it with uh, Nuggets radio at the scorer's table. I can't quite remember. But anyway, next thing you know, he's... Taking selfies with Serbian fans, posing with the Serbian crowd, running off the court to people yelling in Serbian to him and whatnot. And that was really one of the first nights that I kind of realized how much that stuff means to him. And When he's got that Serbian support, when he sees Serbian flags in the crowd, when people are yelling to him in Serbian, I think that lights a bit of a fire under him. He plays up to that. He definitely plays into that a little. He enjoys playing in that environment as well. In the locker room after that game, it was actually crazy because this was the night before the All Star break. So you've got Jamal Murray getting ready to fly to LA, I believe, for the Rising Stars game, the rookie sophomore game, whatever you want to call it. He was in that. You've got everybody going back to Denver and trying to get the heck out of there. And you've got Will Barton kind of just taking in the moment on one side of the locker room. And that's when he kind of told me this story about the first time he saw Jokic play at summer league, of course. And then when Jameer Nelson hosted the team in Philadelphia for a mini camp prior to Jokic's rookie season. And Will Barton was brutally honest. He said he didn't think Jokic was that good. Like he knew he could be a player, but you know, maybe a nice role player, maybe a nice backup center. Of course, the team had Yusef Nurkic at the time. Uh, so Jokic's rise has really caught everybody by surprise, especially Will Barton.
3: Yeah. I mean, a lot of people have taken a crack at describing Jokic physically over the years. I think probably the best description I've heard is a seven-foot bag of milk. Uh, a writer in Toronto said that earlier this year. Jokic kills people. I mean, he's He's been one of the 10 best players in basketball this season, and he's a seven-foot bag of milk. It's incredible. And of
0: course, after this record triple-double, everybody's peppering him with questions. You've got Serbian media there asking him questions, and Serbian trying to get to the bottom of how does this guy do it? How does this guy rack up a triple-double in 14 minutes and 33 seconds? And of course, Jokic has no answers for that. I'm just playing my game. Give credit to my teammates. And I mean, that's... What you love about Nicole Jokic. All right, let's hit a break real quick. We got a lot more to get to here, a lot more moments from the end of last season and into the summer, from Summer League, the draft, and then at the start of this season, we included some stuff as well. We'll be right back here on the BSN
1: Nuggets podcast. This podcast is presented by Inwego, the subscription that allows you to go to as many events as you can for only 39 bucks per month with no additional cost or fees. You heard that right, as many events as you can fit into your schedule for only $39 per month. Brandon Spano's here and he's gonna tell us a little bit about it.
2: Yeah, guys, this year alone, I've been to Avalanche games, Nuggets games, Rockies Games, Rapids Games, Buffs Games. I've been to concerts, uh, beer tastings, food festivals. I even went to a few comedy shows, so it's literally changed my life. <laughs>
1: if it's going on in Denver, there's a good chance that Inwego can get you in. And here's where it gets good. We've partnered with Inwego to give BSN listeners a great deal. Go to inwego.com/bsn Or download the app for free and use promo code BSN50 when you subscribe to get 50% off your first month. That's right. All the events you can handle for less than $20 for your first month. Try it and fall in love with it like we did here at BSN Denver. Go to InWeGo.com slash BSN or download the app for free and use promo code BSN50.
0: Welcome back to the BSN Nuggets podcast presented by InWego. Tuesday, Christmas Eve edition of the show, Harrison Wind and Christian Clark here. Moving on in our best of 2018 list, March 30th and April 1st, this was at the tail end of the Nuggets season, back-to-back overtime victories. The first one was against Oklahoma City. The second Against Milwaukee. These two games were in the midst of that stretch to close the season where it seemed like we were going to Pepsi Center every night, and every night we were just getting a thriller. Some of these games went to OT. All of them seemed to be really close until the very end of the fourth quarter. This was one of the most exciting times to cover this team, I think. Yeah, no question about it.
3: Those were two just great wins. I was at that game in Oklahoma City, uh, an OKC fan who I never figured out who. Actually, threw a pencil eraser at me, Harrison.
0: I'm still reeling from that incident. Those Oklahoma City people, they're nice Midwestern folk, but... No, it's
3: not the Midwest. It's the South.
0: Oklahoma City is the Midwest, bro. What? Yeah.
3: it's You know Oklahoma's the state above Texas, right? I, I know. To me, it's the Midwest. Okay. All right. To you, it's the South? A little... We'll get you, a, like, I'll pay for geography lessons for you this summer. Uh,
0: Midwest, uh, it, to, me, to me, includes Oklahoma City, Kansas, Nebraska, all the way up. That's okay. the Midwest to me.
3: It's like two hours north of Dallas.
0: I'm aware. I- I'm aware. Okay. All right. Texas is the south. Oklahoma is the Midwest to me. I'm going to die on that hill.
3: Well, anyways, I think you're right, though. Those those fans are nuts. They're like jazz fans a lot in a way. Right they'll get
0: nasty about their Thunder. The win over the Thunder, though, 126-105. What I remember about this game is Paul Millsap scoring 36 points, absolutely putting Denver on his back. This was one of the best games he obviously had when he returned from injury. He was really up and down on the offensive end when he came back against the Clippers late last season. Some nights he had it on offense, some nights he just didn't. But this was one of those games where he really showed himself as a guy who could close games for the Nuggets. I mean, Denver just went to him seemingly every play down the stretch in Oklahoma City. Like I said, he had 36 points, brought it home for Denver in the fourth quarter, in overtime. He was big in a number of games down the stretch. You kind of forget about it.
3: Yeah, yeah. I mean, he was pretty up and down. I think it was clear that the left wrist was still bothering him. I give Millsap a lot of credit for even coming back and trying to help Denver get to the playoffs during that stretch of games because it was clear to me his wrist was not right. There are there a lot of times when he just looked like he was playing one-handed out there.
0: Yeah, for sure. And then we go to the next night, April 1st against Milwaukee at home. Denver wins 128-125 in overtime. Of course, this was the game where Jamal Murray hit those three free throws pretty much at the buzzer in regulation. The bucks they should have won this game easily. All they needed to do was inbound the ball. They were leading 111-108. Murray stole Chris Middleton's inbounds pass and then was fouled by Jason Terry with 2.8 seconds left. Of course, he made all three free throws,
3: right? How is Jason Terry even in the game? He was 40 years old last year. He's out of the league this year. How are, how are you relying on a 40-year-old in that situation? I mean, you could
0: ask George Carl the same question. This game screamed to me 2009 Western Conference Finals when the Nuggets threw the ball away. Andre Miller inbounding it there. He's your Jason Terry in this scenario. uh, And the
3: Lakers winning that one. Of course,
0: a little different circumstance, a little different score, but that's what it reminds
3: me of. Yeah. That's when I knew it was over for Jason Terry, my guy, but that's when I knew it was over.
0: Yeah. Jason Terry, your guy still looking to make an NBA comeback here. Remember what Jamal Murray told me after this game? I asked him if he felt any pressure at the line with everything on the line, need to make all three to force overtime. And he goes, what am I shooting from the line? I go, uh, 91%. Gives me a look like a little snarl. It's my favorite shot in the history of basketball, he said. The free throw.
3: Cocky Murray. We saw it uh, quite a bit this year. I kind of love it. Um, Have you ever heard of a guy say his favorite shot is a free throw before? Never. Usually hear three pointer or like,
0: you know, transition three or something like that. But never free throw, much
3: less from a 21 year old. Yeah. uh, A very Jamal Murray answer. Moving on here, April 11th. You guys know this date, the do or die regular season finale in Minnesota. You know, Harrison, in the moment, I'm sure a lot of Nuggets fans thought this was a bad thing. The Nuggets won six in a row. All they had to do was seven, and they could have finally broke this playoff drought. Um, You know, looking back a couple months removed from it, maybe it was a good thing that Denver came up a little bit short in this game. I don't know if they'd be as focused, as determined, specifically in the defensive end this year, if they hadn't had that disappointment for the second year in a row.
0: I'm with you. This was a good thing looking back on it. sure it would have been great to have solid playoff experience, but you wonder maybe that playoff experience would have made Denver a tiny bit complacent. I don't know if it would have, but I think that's a possibility. Whereas they lose game 82, Michael Malone challenges his team over the summer to come back better players and come back earlier. And I'm talking... Weeks before Labor Day, weeks before a training camp gets underway, weeks before they go to Atlanta to work out at Paul Millsap's facility for a couple days. He challenges his guys to be around Denver and on the Pepsi Center practice court all summer. His guys come through. His guys deliver. Everybody's in the gym. They form that camaraderie. They form that chemistry, and they get off to a 9-1 start, which has really helped them get to this point so I'm with you man I think it was a good thing in the long run it was painful in the moment that environment in Minnesota one of the craziest arenas I've ever been in everybody standing up that whole game they had the towels out it was so freaking cold in that arena I remember it took a while for Jokic to warm up but he went crazy in that third quarter definitely
3: a great moment yeah, that that third quarter was unreal, Just some, especially some of those threes he hit, like how high he was shooting those things. I mean, some of the angles he launched them off of. Jokic was a plus seven in 46 minutes in that game. The Nuggets got outscored by 13 points in the seven minutes Nikola Jokic was off the floor. You know, in 2016-17, 2017-18, that was a huge problem for Denver. They just got clobbered anytime Jokic went to the bench and, Really, I thought that game in, in Minnesota represented it better than anything. That's one of the biggest reasons why they've been you know, really good this year and, and they're at the top of the West is because they're not only hanging in there when Jokic goes to the bench, they're outscoring opponents. I believe they're like plus five for 100 possessions when Jokic sits. Their bench has been so good this year. I also remember, um, not, to, not to kill this guy too much, but I remember Josh Eberle firing off a tweet after that game comparing Jokic to Kevin Martin. And I just remember thinking, like, did we watch the same game? Are you kidding me? I don't want to kill this guy, Josh, really, but I'm just going to put him on blast here on the podcast. I mean, he's a good Twitter follower. He's a good Twitter follower. It's just like, what? Like, what are we doing here? Like, Jokic was the best player on the floor in a crucial
0: game. This game, more than anything, it kind of pushed me to the theory that Jokic is a big game player. I think we've seen that. We saw that late last season, and obviously in this game, 82. We've seen that early on this year. But I'm not as worried about Jogic in the playoffs as I once was because he's shown up in big games time and time again here. And also like defensively, of course, he, he's better defensively than he was the last year. His foot speed is quicker. He's more comfortable out. High up on the floor covering pick and roll. So I'm not as nervous as I was at one point about him in the playoffs, though we still got to see him there, of course. Moving on, that's the last one we got from the 27 18 season. Let's move into the summer draft night, June 21st. The Nuggets draft Michael Porter Jr., 14th overall, and then Jared Vanderbilt and Thomas Welsh in the second round. Here's what I remember about this night. Who's the guy everybody thought the Nuggets were going to wind up with at the beginning of that night? Miles Bridges. Right. We had come around to the fact that Denver was probably going to take Miles Bridges. Hey, he would have been a contributor for this team this year. He's looked pretty good in Charlotte so far, I think. But as the lottery kind of develops, I forget what the one pick was that made us kind of realize that, oh, Michael Porter Jr. is going to be there. Maybe it was when Charlotte took Miles Bridges because I think a lot of people had one of the point guards pegged there. It's so wasn't like, oh, I don't know what Kemba Walker's future is going to be like. They'll probably take uh, Shea Gilgis-Alexander there. But no, they take Miles Bridges. And then, like, oh, the Clippers are probably going to take Michael Porter Jr. Yeah,
3: because they had back-to-back picks at 12 and 13. Right.
0: They don't. They take Gilgis-Alexander and Jerome Robinson. And we were like, are the Nuggets really going to take Michael Porter Jr.? They've got this solid rotation return. They're going to get everybody back. Maybe they could take the gamble.
3: And then do you remember the Woes tweet? The Nuggets are deciding between Zyra Smith and Michael Porter Jr. Right. Now
0: <laughs> Right. Which they were. And they end up taking Michael Porter Jr. What do you think of the pick when it happened? And what do you think of it right now, six months later?
3: Ooh, I was I was pretty torn in the moment because Zyra Smith was kind of my guy. Uh I, I really liked his game. I, I thought he could help Denver, you know, I guess one of my theories about how to build around Nicole Jokic is you just want to get as many switchy, athletic, um, switchable wings as possible. I thought Zyra Smith fit that mold. Um, but I certainly don't fault the Nuggets at all for taking a chance on Michael Porter Jr. I mean, look, this guy was the number one player in his high school class. He's six foot eleven. He might be taller than Nicole Jokic if he stands next to him. Yeah. And he's just got this gorgeous jump shot. So, I mean, it was a risky play, but you know what? I respect Tim Connolly, our tourist, for swinging for the fences. Why not, man? Why not try to win a championship?
0: Yeah, it's funny. Zaire Smith is your guy. I had actually heard at the time from multiple people that Nuggets actually tried to trade back into the first round to get Zaire Smith that night, along with Michael Porter Jr. I mean, what a draft haul that would have been. You think Zaire's a guy who could have definitely helped them this year on the wing. I love the pick at the time. I remember I gave it an A right when it happened. I love Denver swinging for the upside here because, like I said a couple minutes ago, they had this rotation returning. We knew they were going to get Nikola Jokic back. I had a good feeling they were going to get Will Barton back, although he obviously was up in the air. He was an unrestricted free agent at the time. But just with the team they were bringing back, I felt like they could take a risk like this. And even though Michael Porter Jr.'s medicals were not good, I mean, they forced 13 teams, well, I guess 12 teams, to pass on him. The Clippers had two picks there that they passed on him with. I felt like this was a risk Denver could take. And, you know, it doesn't look like he's going to play this year, even though we have heard his jumper has looked very pretty. And I can confirm that. We can both confirm that. We both seen him shoot on the practice court. I don't think he's going to play this year still if I had to go one way or another, and I think that's the right choice, but
3: I still like the pick. Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm excited to see um, what he gets out of the court, what he's able to do, how athletic he looks. I know he can shoot the ball. I see him knock down like 12 three-pointers in a row every practice I attend.
0: I mean, if Michael Porter Jr. and Jared Vanderbilt get healthy, the Nuggets are winning a championship.
3: <laughs> yeah, and you know, another... Interesting second-round pick from the Nuggets. Obviously, they got Nicole Jokic 41st overall. That's the slot they took Jared Vanderbilt at. Monte Morris, he was 51st overall, I believe. Yeah. What are the chances that in, I don't know, three years from now, like three of their top eight rotation players are all second-rounders? There's a possibility. Wait, wait, four, because Will Barton. Will Barton's a second-rounder, right? I know they didn't draft him, but...
0: And this upcoming draft, they don't have a first-rounder. They do have a second-rounder, though. Yeah. <laughs> and you know this Nuggets front office is, is licking their chops over that
3: second-rounder. How do the Nuggets crush in the second round like this When compared to all these other teams? It's incredible. I mean, you got to look at the top. You know, Tim Connolly is a guy who came up as a
0: scout. That's his forte. His forte is scouting, is finding these guys who might be a bit overlooked and uh, hitting on him, he's done it time and time again. He's plucked guys out of free agency. He's plucked guys out of Australia, and he's had some absolute bangers in the second round.
3: Yeah, I mean, just the amount of talent they've acquired in, under Connolly's watch is pretty incredible. I mean, even Yusuf Nurkic, that ended in a disaster, but only because they had two freaking really good centers on the roster. Um, I think uh, you know uh, maybe a small part of their success too is they just don't overthink things like Monte Morris. How did how did he get to fifty one? Like that dude was a stud. He was a stud. Yeah. How did he last that long?
0: The knocks on Monte, from what I remember, the classic things you say about a four year college player. You know, he doesn't have the potential that a freshman or sophomore does. People didn't really think he had that translatable of a three point shot, which you no, know, he did prove that. I need to work on, but look at the work he's put in, and now he's shooting forty percent from three. Uh, so he overcame that. You know, he's not like an incredible athlete by any means. That was another knock on him, but sometimes I think people overrate athleticism a little bit when you look at a guy like Luka Doncic, who isn't an unbelievable athlete by any means, but you know, just knows how to play the game and knows how to use his body and people probably overlook
3: that. Yeah, if a guy is that good of a decision maker, if you know he's gonna really put time in into his game, which Monte Morris does, he's one of the hardest workers on the roster that's a guy worth betting on. (laughs) Right.
0: And Monte Morris, he knows how to use his body to shield his defender. He knows how to use angles around the rim. He knows how to get his guy off balance. He does all those things so well. You know, That's what you got to do when you're, I'd say, a below the rim athlete like Monte Morris is, but he makes up for that with how he can really change pace really quickly and get by his defender that way. Let's talk about Jared Vanderbilt for a couple more minutes, the guy who the Nuggets took in the second round before they took Thomas Welsh. And what I remember from draft night, it almost seemed like Nuggets were more excited about Jared Vanderbilt than they were about Michael Porter Jr. Vanderbilt really followed a similar draft route that Michael Porter Jr. did. He also slid because of injuries. Vanderbilt was a former McDonald's All-American, high caliber recruit that went to Kentucky, played really well when he was on the floor at Kentucky as a freshman, was an unbelievable rebounder. I think statistically one of the best rebounders that's ever been in the draft, and the Nuggets are really excited about Vanderbilt man. If he can get healthy, what a fit he could be next to Nikola Jokic.
3: Yeah, if he's able to get healthy and really maximize his talent, the comp a lot of people throw around is Pascal Siakam with the Raptors, just a really athletic four who can get to the bucket. You know, really solid handle, um, good on the glass, strong defender you know, the idea of putting a player in that mold, even if he's not as good as Siakam next to Nicole Jokic is really, really interesting.
0: If you look at every player on this roster, not named Paul Millsap, Jared Vanderbilt's the best fit next to Nicole Jokic. And you know he is a better fit long-term than Millsap next to Nicole Jokic because of how young he is, the defensive upside he's got, and just his total makeup as a player. I mean, this guy's a modern-day four. He, he can handle the ball. He can play-make. He can't really shoot yet. That's the thing he's got to work on. Uh, but playing next to Nicole Jokic and Will Barton and Gary Harris and Jamal Murray possibly for years to come, you can afford to have, I
3: guess, one non-shooter. It's yeah. all right. That's the beauty of this, this Nuggets roster is – You can put a guy without a jump shot out there at power forward position and be just fine. And look how the Nuggets offense hummed when Kenneth Freed was starting next to Jokic 2016-17. All
0: right, moving on past draft night here. July 1st, the beginning of free agency. The Nuggets agree to terms with Nikola Jokic on a max contract, and they also re-signed Will Barton, which was huge. Will Barton turned down more money uh, from what I've been told to re-sign with the Nuggets. But let's focus on Nikola Jokic because that was the story here, right? This was the moment where even though we knew he was the Nuggets franchise player last year when he put the team on his back and really closed the season like he did, this was the moment where Denver cemented him as their franchise player, their franchise cornerstone the guy they're going to build around for years and years and years to come. We know Nicole Jokic is going to be in a Denver Nuggets jersey for a long time. And this was really the beginning of it, getting him on a five-year deal. And that's another thing that shouldn't be overlooked. The fact that Denver was able to sign him to a five-year deal and not a four-year deal. You look at what's going on with Anthony Davis right now and his pre-agency, even though he's under contract with the New Orleans Pelicans for another season after this one. you know, His free agent clock is ticking with the start that the Pelicans got off to. Denver's not going to have to worry about that with Nikola Jokic for a long time.
3: Yeah, and it was cool how confident everybody was. Jokic's teammates, members of the front office, that getting that Brinks truck full of money wasn't going to change Jokic in the least bit. I think that was entirely justified. I mean, it's hard to find a guy with more talent who, who's more just down to earth, salt of the earth, dude. than Nikola Jokic, I mean, still the exact same personality-wise. You know, kind of, kind of busts his teammates' balls, but in an endearing way. He's not afraid to take blame upon himself. Still wearing the same outfits, just an, a Nike sweatsuit after every single game. Jokic is the exact same guy. You know, whether he's making one million or twenty-one million or whatever it is this year.
0: What well, was really cool about those events of him signing that deal. Well, him first agreeing to the deal in the opening moments of agency, as soon as it was legally allowed for the Nuggets and Jokic to come to terms. And then they get Barton, and then they have the press conference in Denver. Immediately after, those guys fly to Vegas to watch a meaningless summer league game and sit courtside to root on Monte Morris and Malik Beasley and Vlatko Chanchar and The other members of the Nuggets Summer League team. And that for me was really an insight and a look into how tight knit this group is and the chemistry they've got. That, you know, straight off signing a contract for life changing money, you know, Nicole Jokic and Will Barton, they just wanted to fly to Vegas and watch some of their teammates play in an exhibition game at a Summer League showcase.
3: A pretty cool moment, I thought. Yeah, the the Monte Morris-Vlatko-Chanchar connection, electric in Las Vegas, Harrison. Where were you when Vlatko-Chanchar busted out?
0: Well, I think that moves into our uh, next event here. I'll just call it Summer League, and it was the Summer League of (laughs) Vlatko-Chanchar. A guy who, I'll tell you, we stayed in an Airbnb in Las Vegas for Summer League with a bunch of other writers from around the country. I'm still confident that a few of those guys don't believe that Flacco Chanchar is a real person. They listened to us talk about him and talk him up all week. And I'm pretty sure some of those guys still don't believe that we were actually talking about a basketball player. He's a real person. He's the Slovenian McLovin. He totally is. He had an unbelievable summer league. Uh, he was the story. You know, Monte Morris. He looked great. That was probably the headliner at summer league. That was probably the first glimpse we got that said, you know, hey, Monte Morris could you know, be a factor for Denver this year." Denver might be okay at backup point guard. Yeah, they're probably going to sign a guy more of a veteran presence to you know be more of a sure thing because we saw what Monte Morris did at summer league. We still didn't know he'd be this. Once the game started to count for real, and you know, they signed Isaiah Thomas to be that guy, but Monte Morris says, what do you think the highest point total was that Vlaco Chanchar scored in a single game at Summer League? Uh, I don't know, like 13? 13, exactly. Okay. But we talk about him like a guy who had like a 25 or 30 point game, right?
3: Well, he's just a solid player. I mean, yeah. he wasn't like the go-to scoring option. He was just making the right play all the time. Right? He looked, at, he looked a lot more athletic than I thought he would, too.
0: Right. Uh, but he had a bunch of funny moments there. Such a fun-loving kid, just happy to be there, such a free spirit, genuine guy. How a lot of these international guys are when they come over from Nicola to Wancho and now Vlatko. Yeah. Do you remember Vlatko
3: doing that Twitter poll uh, last summer? He, you know, he, he linked to a, one of his dunks and he said, was this nice? Vote yes or no? <laughs> How many followers do you think he
0: has on Twitter right now? Because I believe at Summer League, he was still like at 200. Uh, maybe like a K? Almost. He's up to 910 Twitter followers. And I'm pretty sure like 100 of those are Nuggets media.
3: <laughs> yeah, there there are 100 Nuggets media members. <laughs> right. That's the joke I was making. <laughs> yeah. Do you remember uh, Will Barton's Tweet shouting him out like Will Barton was just there sitting courtside watching in his sunglasses. Chanchar had a pretty good game, and Will Barton got off a tweet that said, "Hey yo, at Vlaco, Chanchar is nice with it."
0: Yeah, everybody was loving it. Everybody was caught up in the Vlatko experience. It, it was it was a fun time for sure in Vegas watching him play. But like you said, he was so solid. He rarely made a mistake throughout all of Vegas. He only had two turnovers in four games. Both those came in for the first game he played in against Minnesota, but he shot 48% from the field in Vegas, 37.5% from three, three rebounds per game, almost an assist per game. I think we could see him in a Nuggets uniform next year if Denver has an open roster spot, that is. I think he could be a contributor.
3: Well, they need a, a little more depth on the wings probably at that small forward position especially. Do you have an NBA comp for (laughs) Vlatko
0: <laughs> for our listeners who might not have been tuning in to every summer league game. oof, I, I would need
3: some time to think about it. I don't know. Do you got one off the top of your head?
0: Yeah, I'm not sure. He's a three that can handle it a little bit. He can shoot from the outside. He does everything kind of well, which is, it's funny. That's kind of the types of guys Nuggets look for in the second round uh, a little bit, but you know,
3: he's just solid in a lot of different facets of his game. Yeah. It's not hard to see him fitting in in a couple of years, playing some Jokic ball.
0: Yeah, for sure. How about how jacked that guy? is? He kind of blew up overnight and all of a sudden he looks like Mr. Olympia. <laughs> yeah. Globe of the summer. No question. <laughs> all right. Let's hit another break right here. We got some more moments from 2018 and we want to rehash, but we'll be right back here on the BSN Nuggets podcast.
2: Hey BSN fans, your favorite Colorado sports network has partnered with your favorite Colorado beer and we're giving them away for free. But in true BSN fashion, we're not letting you go to some major chain for it. We want you to go to your local neighborhood bar and support a real Colorado business. That's why we've created the bar page where any BSN subscriber can go in and get a free beer whenever they want. Just go to BSNBars.com and you can get one free Coors Banquet at any bar on that list. All you have to do is show the bartender the VIP image on that page in your browser and you can retrieve a free Coors Banquet beer at any of those bars. There are over 20 bars there. You're sure to find one close to you. It's bsnbars.com. Find a bar and get a free Coors Banquet on the house. Thanks for listening to the BSN Denver podcast network.
0: Welcome back to the BSN Nuggets podcast presented by In We Go Tuesday edition of the show. Harrison Wind and Christian Clark here going over our best of 2018. Let's fast forward to the start of the regular season. It's shoot around before the Nuggets take on the Clippers in LA for their regular season opener. Michael Malone gets the extension. Josh Kroenke, Nuggets president, comes into to shoot around after they wrap up
3: announces that Mike Malone's getting extended. That was a cool moment, I thought. Yeah, that was awesome. And what a couple months it's been for Malone. You know, I don't think Malone was ever really on the hot seat or anything like that. I don't think there was any chance the Nuggets were going to part ways with him after the season ended. But he got some of those questions. Um, You know, when when you don't make the playoffs three years in a row, those questions are are naturally going to arise, you know, this year. I think he's probably in the conversation for coach of the year. One of my biggest questions about Malone long-term was, can, you know, who he is at his core and his ideology as a coach mix with a team that's best player is Nicole Jokic? And I think the answer to that question is yes, so far this year. They're playing, you know, their equal opportunity basketball on the offensive end, and they're playing some defense too. It's kind of like the best of both worlds.
0: Yeah, the most impressive thing Malone has done to this point is what he's done at the beginning of this season. Like you mentioned, it's getting everybody, including Nikola Jokic, who I think both of us had our doubts about his future and potential as a defender, to buy in on that end of the floor. It's been unbelievably impressive what he's been able to do with this roster and turn this team into a top-five defense. I didn't think it was possible bringing back 78% of their minutes from last year and fielding a top five defense, I didn't think it could be done, even with Paul Millsap, and even with more buy-in from Nikola Jokic, because both of us thought he'd be an improved defender. Granted, the only way he could go was up from what he did over his first three seasons, but still, to have him playing at this level defensively, and I don't think Nicole Jokic has been an average defender. I think he's been an above average defender this year. Uh, to get buy-in from him and get buy-in from everybody else on this roster, it's been unbelievable and because of that and because Denver is the top team in the West still at the time we're recording this podcast, Mike Malone should be the leader in the clubhouse, I think for coach of the year. I don't think anybody has done as impressive of a job as he has done, especially with missing three out of his five starters and Really missing Will Barton and Gary Harris for a huge chunk of this season so far.
3: Yeah, and, you know, the other thing we talk about with Malone is repairing the culture. He deserves a ton of credit for that. You know, I think one of the things I didn't really grasp when I first got here was just how bad things were in Denver, Um, you know, kind of in that that post George Carl era. Um, You were around for the first year of Michael Malone being here, I was around for the second, but it just seems like night and day you know, the expectations now to to come in and do your work every day and and not take plays off and just be professional.
0: And Michael Ballone, man, he is a culture setter. He is a culture setter from how he conducts practices to the environment that he creates in the locker room and how close he is with ton of young guys on this team. We didn't really go over it, but last year, I mean, how many times did the Nuggets young core trump for Michael Malone and the job he was doing, even when the seat was a bit warm at the end of last season? Jamal Murray coming out and saying he hopes Michael Malone is his coach for the rest of his career. Nicole Jokic and Gary Harris kinda echoing those comments. The support he's had from the Nuggets' young core has never wavered over the last couple of years, and that's been one of the best cards he's had to play. All right, let's move on to a couple moments from this season so far. The first one I wanted to hit was beating the Warriors in the Nuggets' third game of the regular season on the second night of a back-to-back. Looking back at it, I'm not sure any of us took that as, oh, hey, this team is really legit. I don't think we saw them beat the Warriors that night and said, oh man, they could be you know, the top team in the West at the third mark of the regular
3: season. But maybe we should have. Yeah, maybe so. Um, the Nuggets have had the Warriors number the past yep. couple seasons for whatever reason. I think over their last 10, the Nuggets have beaten the Warriors more than the Warriors have beaten the Nuggets. I would love to see them in a playoff series, maybe a second round matchup or, or something like that. Maybe even a Western Conference Finals, if if I'm getting out there on a limb a little bit, Harrison how about Wancho's block to seal that game? Wancho just came out of nowhere. I believe he got it with his left hand, just swallowed up that shot. That was that was gorgeous.
0: And I mean, how representative was that block of how the Nuggets have been winning games mostly over the first third of this season on the defensive end of the floor? And sure enough, the play they get to win that game is a block at the rim.
3: Yeah. They mobbed Wancho too. Like They would have been hyped if, if anybody made that, but you could tell... The Nuggets were especially excited that Wancho made it. He seems like a pretty beloved teammate. Yeah, that was a great moment.
0: Moving on, November 5th, Jamal Murray scores 48 points on Boston to cap a 9-1 start to the regular season. The Warriors' win was nice, but this win against Boston kind of drew parallels for me to the win over Oklahoma City and Gary Harris' game winner last year that we touched on a bit earlier in the show. This was the win that kind of put the Nuggets on the map. To start the season and sure they got most of that publicity because Jamal Murray took that three to go for fifty-one points and a lot of the Celtics kinda stroke that media firestorm, Kyrie Irving and Marcus Morris saying how Murray shouldn't have done that and whatnot. That was really the headline, but I felt like that game and, and beating the Celtics, who at that time, you know, they hadn't gotten off to a good start, but they were a high quality opponent nonetheless. But Murray going for 48 and kind of the theatrics around that, that kind of put the nuggets on the map for me.
3: How about Kyrie Irving just throwing that ball into the stands? Like uh it was like Drew Brees, Drew Brees throwing a bomb or something 50 yards downfield. He should have got a big fat fine for that. He should have got suspended he for it. He did get fined for that. Okay, I'm sorry. He should have got suspended for that Harrison. Whoa, okay. I stand by that take. Anytime you're you're you put fans in danger of getting hurt in a game and you're a player, I think you should deserve a one-game fine. Like, what if that had conked a little kid in the back of the head? Yeah, that would not
0: have been good for sure. Can't um, be doing that. That's petulant behavior. Here's Kyrie Irving's quote from that night. Quote, I don't want to make a big deal out of it. He's talking about throwing the ball in the crowd. Obviously, I was pissed off at the game. The ball deserves to go in the crowd after a bullshit move like that. So I threw it in the crowd. I don't want to make a big deal out of it, but F that guy. This was kind of the start of Jamal Murray becoming the face of this team as, I don't want to say troll because I don't think that's the right word. It's a word a lot of people have used, including Rachel Nichols on the jump. But I mean, Jamal Murray, maybe he's just more of an instigator. Oh, he's definitely an instigator. That, that troll photoshop with Murray's face on it, it made me laugh for like three hours. And to this day, I know a lot of people think differently, but I love Jamal Murray shooting for 51 points there. It wasn't just about him shooting for 51 points at the end of regulation. This was him and the Nuggets kind of saying, hey, we don't really care who our opponent is. We don't care who we're up against we think we can beat anybody. We think we got a pretty good team here and we're not going to play little brother to Kyrie Irving and Russell Westbrook. And we've seen that play out over the course of the first part of this season. So I think that was the beginning of that.
3: Last one on the agenda for us, November 27th, uh, Nuggets just smashed the Lakers at home, not even a competitive game. And Michael Malone delivers the best quote during his Nuggets tenure, probably the best sports quote I've heard since I've been in Denver, uh,
2: coming up on three years now. We don't want any converts. We (laughs) don't want any converts. You're either with us or you're against us. Uh, And we understand when we play these great – LeBron is arguably the best player ever. And uh, when he comes to town, and the Lakers, you know, their fans carry. But uh, as long as their fans go home disappointed, that's all I care about. So the Warrior fans can come in here. The Celtic fans can come in here. Laker fans come in here. But take that L on the way out.
0: (laughs) Yeah, what a freaking quote from Michael Malone. And take that L. That's really become the rallying cry of this team, don't you think? It was unbelievable. I mean, just an uppercut from Malone. I think him sounding off like that, I think it's got a little trickle-down effect to his team. And the Nuggets, to an extent, they kind of take on the personality of Michael Malone. When he's really uptight, the team is uptight. When he's really loose, when he's joking with the media, when he's cracking jokes, when he's letting one-liners like this fly left and right, the team opens up and the team plays more relaxed and plays more like themselves.
3: So I feel like there's a direct relationship there. Yeah, I, I definitely see that as well. I mean, what a year from Malone. This this has to feel so good. His team is finally playing defense. I didn't know if we'd ever see this type of buy-in. It, it's finally happening. Yeah. Like, and we've, we've, we didn't put this on the list, but we finally got our first... Uh, shootout out of the OK Corral in 2018-19 season as well.
0: It was a big moment, a moment that probably only you and I appreciated. The second Michael Malone said that following that Dallas game, right? It was against the Mavericks. Yep. I tried to make eye contact with you. I couldn't see you. I think you were on the other side of the scrum for me, but it was a big moment for us. So I'm glad he could say it.
3: Yeah, probably good for Malone's sanity that there aren't as many shootout out the OK Corrals anymore.
0: Yeah, I think that's where we're going to end it. Of course, if we missed anything, let us know. Hit me on Twitter. Call up to the Total Beverage Fan Hotline, 1-800-BSN-8394. 1-800-BSN-8394. Let us know if we missed any moments that stick out to you from 2018. And I think that was a pretty good list. I think that sums up this last year, this last calendar year, covering the Nuggets.
3: A lot of highs, some lows, but this team is going full steam ahead into 2019. Pretty fun year, Wind. I can't wait to see what 2019 brings.
0: Yeah, we'll see. Hopefully, a playoff appearance. All right, we'll wrap up there. Again, thanks for listening, guys. If you've got a second, head on over to iTunes. We'd love a five-star review. We certainly appreciate the support. And we'll be back with another episode on Thursday, recapping game in San Antonio. We'll talk with you guys
1: then. What if we told you that whiskey and vodka weren't just for drinking? it's true jason and erica owners of distilled bath and body created pit liquor you heard me right pit liquor it's an all-natural deodorant that actually works ramona found pit liquor online and now says she's a customer of theirs for life pit liquor is wonderful they saved my under no no underarms for me so I definitely love them and will be a customer as long as it keeps the smells I guess, away. Pit Liquor has no harmful chemicals or toxins and doesn't have any ingredients you wouldn't find in grandma's kitchen. I came across Pit Liquor online on Instagram. I saw an ad advertising no baking soda used in their product, so the difference between Pit Liquor and other natural deodorants is... I do not stink. I've tried several, several different brands and either I end up with an itchy rash or it doesn't last. But pit liquor for me lasts all day. Pit liquor's risk free guarantee should put your mind at ease. Head to pitlicker.com and use the promo code number one fan to save 11% and have it shipped straight to your home. That's hashtag one fan.